There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code Meat Eater. So go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, we're joined today by Dave... Simonet, you prefer Simonet. I prefer Simonet, yeah. Uh, who many among many other things, you have your own, you have your own solo stuff, right? Then you have your kind of solo stuff <laughs> yeah. called Dead Man Winter, yeah. And then you have your not nearly as solo stuff under Trampled by Turtles. Yeah, that's about sums it up. Really? Yeah. Let's say you did it. You were going to sum it up. How do you like to? When no, you're like, like sitting there talking to someone, they're like, "What do you do?" Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would just say that I'm a songwriter, and then the, I have those different vehicles for doing it, you know. But Trampled by Turtles is, you know, my main gig. That's what I spend most of my time with. Yeah. And then, um, you know, all of us in that band have other other side projects or other ways to, uh, to, to do whatever we do. So we give each other time to do this, and it gives me time to make music with other people and music on my own. Um, but most of it's Trampled by Turtles. Uh, I got a cautionary tale for you. Okay. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. But I just wanted to do that intro, and then we're going to do a couple of things, and then we'll come back. Sure. Um, we're going to talk about your fishing trip this weekend. All right, great. And, like, why you're in town and stuff. I, I was at the gym the other day, and there's this elderly woman there. <laughs> what? <laughs> and what? you outlifted her? I already heard the story, which is why I'm laughing. It's the greatest story in the world. It's a great story. She's uh, She works her ass off down at this gym. And I heard her complaining, overheard her complaining to her trainer. She said, um, 
She goes, you know, men have gotten so sedentary. And she says, do you know there are men who cannot carry a sack of fertilizer? And then she goes, you need to know this. And then she said, there are men with no toolkit. So it's like, watch out. Right. If you're a dude. <laughs> That's a very Montana this could ha- conversation. This could happen right? to you that you find yourself incapable of carrying sacks of fertilizer. <laughs> I wanted to break in and be like, well, how big? If it's like a 100-pound sack, I mean, (laughs) you're being harsh, right? 25-pound sack? I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. You're going to show up to uh, your next um, Tinder date, and there's just going to be a sack of fertilizer next to the front door? Tell you what, every time I walk in that gym, I'm coming in there with a sack of fertilizer and a toolkit, though. (laughs) One on each shoulder. (laughs) Um, uh, What else am I going to talk about? Giannis. Uh, you you wanted to update us on your... How do you spell your dog's name? M-I-N-G-U-S. I want to hear about what's going on with you and this dog and the raccoons. Yeah, well, <clears throat> our buddy finally got some raccoons. They've been tough raccoon trapping, um, even for somebody that had a whole bunch of raccoons on his place. But he finally got one. The first one, though, it didn't turn out very well for him. I, th- I thought I had been advised that you could uh, leave a raccoon in a trap for a day or so. Clarify that you're talking about a live trap. A live trap, yeah. Have a heart. Basically just a long, rectangular box. Yeah, with a name like Have a Heart. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, this first raccoon, kind of small, smallish raccoon, by the time I got to him, he had perished. Or she. We should clarify, the guy that's catching the raccoons is, is has a does a lot of waterfowl nesting stuff on his place. That's right. And is controlling raccoons mm-hmm. he believes that this will increase waterfowl reproduction that's right which by no means like uh makes any better what i'm doing to these raccoons it's real like uh like a, i don't want to say moral dilemma but it definitely tugs at my heart both directions doing like training mingus with these live raccoons well this one was dead so with the dead one we did a little trail 50 yards or so, and then put the dead one up in a tree, let Mingus follow it. He went to the tree, saw the raccoon, barked at it for 15 minutes. We urged him on. The girls were there, my kids, seven to nine, and uh, they cheered him on. He did well. Got a call the next morning, another coon in the trap. So I went and picked it up the next evening. We did the same thing, except now we had a live raccoon in a trap, which we and we dragged the whole trap up a different trail, hung it up in the tree, and then repeated the process. Well, why not just let the raccoon run off, and then he can track the raccoon? Well, because we're, this is only his second time with a raccoon, right? So he's just we're just trying to make the connection and make sure that there is that connection. So we actually started with that raccoon in the trap on the ground at the base of the tree, and he sat there and barked, and she snarled back and forth for five minutes, and then I hoisted it into the tree, and we can we continued. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to like get the idea that this animal is going to go to a tree and then go up into a tree. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, we went out to Jake's farm and uh, cut the raccoon loose. Why did you go way the hell out there? Just because you needed a big open field with a, uh, you know, with some big trees nearby. So you drove all that way to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not can't do it in your backyard. Well, I didn't say or my it's backyard. It's like the world's divided into Jake's farm and my backyard. <laughs> no, I know. But I mean, just, I don't know. Try, like, to think, try to think. Jake, you a, got your farm and I own everything else. It's my backyard. Think of a good spot around here that that would have been good for. 
It's just a perfect setup. A thousand where, places. It's a dog safety thing too. Oh, a thousand places. You got one off the top of your head? You just okay. All okay. All fishing access sites. Okay. Well, they might not have a nice mowed field where you can like see where the raccoon is running, right? And so you can sort of control the situation. Okay. Remember where we did where we did our company river access site cleanup? Oh, well, I didn't make it to that. I played hooky. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Joe, he went, Joe, he went uh, we had a company cleanup where the whole damn company showed up to clean up a river access site and Giannis decided to fish that day. <laughs> I think that's bad fishing karma. Oh, dude. All right, so anyways, you drive hours away. One hour. Okay. Exactly. It's pretty common here in Montana to go for an hour-long drive. Anyways, we started off with the raccoon in the trap again, Mingus there barking at it, and we let the raccoon run. And we thought it was just going to run across the field and right up into this cottonwood. You know, that's what we were expecting. But we didn't see in our mind's eye or just the way we were perceiving this, the place and the situation, we didn't see this, like, the part that hadn't been cut yet, just all this tall grass where there's, like, a ditch running through it and whatever in the middle of this field. You know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. basically right there in front of the house. And uh, so the raccoon's going towards the tree and then decides to hook a left into the grass because he's going to get away. So... We just cut Mangles loose at that point. And he did a good job, caught right up to it. And um, Jake was happy because he didn't really bark on the trail much at all. He only started barking once he got face-to-face with it. And so we repeated that maybe three times. They'd be face-to-face for, I don't know, a couple, three minutes. We'd pull Mangus off, let the raccoon get out, you know, three, four minutes, cut Mangus loose again, and take him a little bit to figure out which way it went. Because, again, the grass is tall and thick. You can't see which way it went. And um, at one point, the raccoon was actually attached to Mingus's head, which as as a, the dog owner, it definitely kind of scares you a little bit. You know, you're like, is that okay? And again, I'm, like, I'm lucky to have a, a, a good mentor. And he's like, yeah, it's all good. Like, if it, if it comes to it, your dog will kill that raccoon. Um, yeah, but raccoons kill dogs. They do. He's, the only thing he was worried about, which I've heard often, is the deep water. Yeah. Like, if there's deep water nearby, then they can actually get on the head like that and drown a dog. Um, so eventually, uh, the raccoon did tree. Took Mingus a little bit, but eventually he got that he got to that tree and actually tried to climb the tree. Um, came back to the tree multiple times, but never just sat there and barked at the tree, which would be what they call treed, right? So we could see the raccoon in the tree, mm-hmm. and he went around it a few times, smelling it, but it, it eventually was like, I can't put two and two together that that's where the raccoon is now. I've lost its trail and he's sort of like faded away. Then we shot the raccoon out of the tree. And what was interesting is I thought there'd be this big like dead raccoon, Mingus on top of it, just craziness. And there wasn't. He like went up to it, saw that it was dead, barked like two more times, and then pretty much turned around and was like, all right, what are we doing now? Once the raccoon was dead, it was like no interest. Because Jake doesn't want raccoons either. What do you mean? He doesn't want a lot of raccoons on his place. No, he doesn't want any. We try to trap him there first. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so he's doing good. It's been fun. Uh, when you get all when this dog is a great raccoon hunter, and you start, what are you gonna do with all your raccoon hides? Because they're only worth a few bucks a piece right now. I have to figure out what I'm gonna make out of them, and then give everybody what? raccoon no. hats for Christmas. I You're guess. gonna go against, try to go up against me and Seth as the providers of fur garments <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> around the office. <laughs> totally. Perhaps you'd like one of these raccoon hats instead. 
Um, I'm guessing there's going to be quite a few that get treed and don't get shot. You want to I'm gonna watch how easily I could bring something full circle, but I'm not going to yet. Uh, watch this. Dave, our guest, was born in Germany. That's right. And you know what they do in Germany when they're training dogs? I don't. What they used to do is they would uh, make a raccoon go into a like a barrel or a cage in Germany, I think. This this outfit, this like used to be a way you'd test the metal of a dog, mm-hmm. is you'd have to have a dog and a raccoon, like German wire hairs and whatnot. You make the dog and the raccoon fight it to the death in a enclosed area. It's like UFC for hunting. They'd fight it. They'd fight to the death inside a thing, and that was like a thing you'd go get a raccoon. And your dog wasn't like a real dog till you till it did that. Till it passed. But there's a certain brutality to it, man. Like you've crossed over into a really dangerous territory with what you're up to right now. Yes, I don't know if it's dangerous, but it's it's different. You just crossed into like some questionable stuff. I feel. What's questionable about it? Yeah, it's just I think it's questionable. With dealing with the with the live raccoons. I just feel like you could rile up someone's sensitivities. Oh, no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. The uh the uh I mean, just the conversations that have been going on in my house over the last three days while this all has been going on, you know? It's interesting too with how the kids reacted differently between the when we trained with the dead coon and then the live one. The, the dead one, like, gloves off, just like, yeah, Mangus, get in there. Good boy, good boy, this, that, and the other. And then when it was alive, Kim, it's like, well, we've named her Beatrice. Yeah. <laughs> can we try feeding her? And I'm like, yeah, you can. But just remember, Beatrice's life is, she's got about 12 more hours, you know? And uh, so it was interesting seeing that. They, they still cheered him on when we did the the training with, with the coon in the trap but um they definitely weren't quite like just like yeah in there you know they started to make a connection with that raccoon it was interesting my wife she only joined in on the first session second session she's like nah i had enough of that i went out coon i went out running raccoons a bit growing up and i thought it was pretty interesting but it was all at night so it was hard to see what was going on yeah but i enjoyed going out with certain guys this dude carl i used to hang out with random yeah, it's interesting to watch the you know watch the dogs work for sure. So, Dave, tell me about uh, tell me about your fishing trip this weekend. Uh, yeah, yesterday it was your first first fly fishing experience, right? I've fished. Uh, I grew up fishing in Minnesota on lakes, and have recently discovered trout fishing there in the last few years. But have just been using spinners, and that's pretty common in that area, right? Um, so I, I was pretty excited to have the opportunity to finally try a fly rod because I've always wanted to do it. And uh, we went out on the Yellowstone with, I don't know, how many of us were there? Three, there were three boats. I think there was eight, eight of us. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a perfect day. It was beautiful. And I, I had a wonderful teacher, Sam, who showed me how to, you know, almost how to not get stuck on everything I threw my fly at <laughs> and uh, ended up catching a few fish. And I think I'm, 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 you know, when I get home, I'm going to go get a ride now, man. I'm oh, really? On it. Yeah. Um, it's a cool experience. You think, like, if rate Sam, like, act like he's not here. Yeah. One to ten. <clears throat> ten being great. Great guide. Great Phenomenal guide. guide. One being just awful. One being awful. Uh, 
even if he wasn't here, I think I'd still say a ten. Really? Yeah, Just a ten. Yeah, it helped. I, I I needed a lot of you know you, you pick up one one of those rods and um, I don't know if any of you can remember before you did that, but it's a whole different motion. It's a whole different ex- everything, feeling everything. Um, so it was nice to have somebody who was who was pretty adamant about making sure I at least had a good chance of catching a fish. Did he bust out the metronome? analogy uh, for you yep, and did yep. that work as a musician I felt like it you? was a little scripted you know but <laughs> 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 Sam you get you feel like you gave him a you gave him a scripted like 10 I, to I was, 10 I wasn't, to I wasn't well, the first person who got well, that well you know I, I I go against the the 10 and 2 I tell people 11 and 1 if you're going to think about it that way I think that's a more useful frame because it makes you keep the rod higher behind you um, but I, I mean, I've taught probably over a hundred people how to fly fish in my life. I've, I've been teaching fly fishing since I was 14, I think. So it is a little scripted. I have certain things I like to say, and I think certain things that are helpful and yeah, and some things that aren't, but I, I still think Dave's sandbagging me. I still think he's secretly fly fished before and is like acting like this is his first time because <laughs> oh. he picked it up faster than literally anyone I've ever seen. It's like a fly fishing shark. Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. How I mean, many, I, don't, I don't know what you gain from this. Well, yeah. how, many, how, many, how, many instruments, how many instruments do you play? Uh, really just one, just a guitar. I mean, I can kind of play a few other ones, but I wouldn't say. Uh, if you said like a whole bunch, I was gonna be maybe just like really good. You just had enough training to figure stuff good out at quick. stuff real fast. Good at like figuring yeah. things out. No, I'm generally not one of those people, I don't think. But. Well, he took instruction well. Like he was, he was doing it very well. Like pretty much right off the bat, and then ended up sticking two really nice trout that literally anybody who fishes the Yellowstone regularly would be like over the moon about catching. How were, how did you have them rigged up? We were fishing grasshoppers, just single dry all day. Really, no little little, I, little teasers, stingers. No, no, I droppers. No. It, it it certainly doesn't make you uh, any less snag prone to have all that stuff on there and with two two folks who are relatively new to fly fishing and they were they were eating the grasshopper right off the bat and I mean that's kind of the one of the pinnacles of the fishing experience in my mind so I'm like let's go whole hog on that we oh, stopped cool. a few times and I nymphed uh, I think I caught like one white fish yeah uh, doing that but we so were they're having... just coming up and smacking that grasshopper yeah they were yeah did you catch any fish Maggie. Yeah, I caught one 20 yards from the takeout. <laughs> Big brown trout. Yeah, nice That's brown. A beautiful Probably fish. the biggest fish I caught have caught. To date. Mm-hmm. What, what were we talking about the other day when we were fishing? Having your uh, your PB? Oh, my PR. My PR. Personal yeah. record. No, not pers- PB. Personal best. <laughs> PB is peanut butter and jelly, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. Just saying like my PR. My PR. Uh, people say PB. A lot of fishermen use that. I heard a few, a few yeah. acronyms I guess yesterday. I've never that heard that. PR like... is for runners. Maggie's been saying it since she was 14 years old. Yeah, running. Yeah, for running. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get for, it. Not for fishing. Yeah, and you PB, used, used an acronym best. yesterday yeah. that I hadn't heard in quite a while. Was it LDR? Yeah. And I was like, damn it, I know this one. long distance release. Oh, I did have one of those. I was just being polite, you know, letting them get off. Very sporting of you. Yeah. Um... I uh we fished this weekend where we went camping with our kids and our neighbors and their kids and I had my first uh I had sworn I I had vowed to never ride on a on a sup sup man sup dude sup dude to ever ride on a sup stand up paddleboard mm. but uh, we were a little slow getting out the door on Friday and I didn't bring my and I and at the last minute was like didn't bring my canoe. My kids have these little mini, uh, 
these little mini old town kayaks. I shoved two of those in the back of the truck. And my neighbor put in two uh, subs. And <laughs> and we wind like up at these and we wind up at these lakes and you could see like there's no way to get around the lake. You can't like walk the edge of the lake. I mean you could, but it'd be just the worst thing on the planet. And there's an inlet coming in on the far side of this lake. And my kids wanted their little kayaks and they were being really uh selfish and rude. And so me and my neighbor had to get on his sup and rode it over to the inlet and holy smokes did we catch fish he was like had his fly rod and was swinging this little nymph through there and catching them but i had a uh uh ziploc bag full of rotten night crawlers who i heard <laughs> my about god those i smell. heard about no it wasn't even those from. ones oh it wasn't no when they start to get all mushy Oh, and yeah, and then you put them in a bag, and it's like eighty. Oh my god, yeah. just horrible. You had to like position yourself so the sack was downwind. But my god, was I getting them? I just my had to strategy, my cooler to get some of those out from a trip last weekend. My strategy: I just had six pound a six pound fluoro tippet, and I put a the half of a rotten crawler on there, and one split shot, and would basically cast up into the creek. And let it just wash down all natural into the lake. Yeah, we grilled a stack of trout that night. So when you promised... They were all exactly the same size, which made me suspicious of yeah. that. <laughs> when, like when we you grilled like never eight use that were sub, this long. Did, did you alter that because you were doing it with another guy on there? Does that make it better or does that make it worse? No, I had to weigh out, like, what's worse? To not fish where you think you should be or to ride on a sup? How do you rate the stuff now after you've done it? They don't handle the wind very well. Because oh. then like a hurricane force wind kicked up and I had to come back over by myself to go get my sinkers. It is extremely <laughs> challenging to fish off of one of those because you make a cast and then it spins 180 and you're fishing oh, over your and back I do it all, all the time. time. You guys fish off subs? We have nine paddle boards. There's only two of you. Well, well, you need them for all different sorts of situations, Steve. Oh. You know at campgrounds they have those those racks those welded racks that sit on that U and basically like they're like gravity supported, like gravity lock so you can control the height. Um, My neighbor had this giant tote full of hardwood scraps from his shop and we just burned all those hardwood scraps down and filled one of those campground rings and then put that rack down there and just covered that rack and because we're fishing with the kids and everything. Just covered that rack and those, those trout. Mm. It was good. What I kind of trout was, were man. they? Rainbows. Mm. And we let some cuts go. And then uh, there's this old dude camp by us by himself. And I got to feeling bad for him. And I went over and invited him for dinner. And he told me that he's got gout and don't eat seafood. <laughs> 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 really Not made him feel better. Not where I saw that going. <laughs> <laughs> No, I kept telling my kids, go talk to that old man, see if he wants to come to dinner, and they wouldn't do it. So I was like, I'll go over there. Um, you're gonna when you leave here, you're on a road trip right now. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, I had playing a- concerts to 25 percent audience. <laughs> yeah, if that. Uh, I had a I had two shows. One with uh, another member of Trample by Turtles. We did a duo thing in Cheyenne a few nights ago, and then uh, the one here down in Pine Creek. Um, and that was it, but I had some time around it, so I kind of decided to make it a little solo road trip, camping around. 
drove out through uh, the sand hills in Nebraska, which uh-huh. I'd, I'd never seen before. So it was a really cool experience to drive through that. And um, it kind of made my way down to Cheyenne and then uh, up into uh, through Shoshone and camped up there, National Forest. And still trying to figure out my route home, which starts today. What percent, as a musician in this day and age where, like, selling albums isn't really a thing anymore. Right. Um, what percent of your income do you have to pull from touring? I'd say about 90. So, right now. Super unemployed right now. You're just getting, yeah. like, brutalized by COVID from a <clears throat> yeah, business perspective. Yeah, the whole music business, for sure. Because everybody that's, you know, there's... The ones of us that play, but there's also the managers and booking agents and um, even to a certain extent, the people that distribute recorded music all really depend on touring. That's the biggest way you publicize a release. Uh, it's where we make our money. It's where every you know everybody that works for us, our crew and all that make their money. So it's a lot of people that are trying to figure out what to do depending on how long this lasts. You know, um, How long has it been that you were curious about wanting to take up hunting? And do you view that this fall might be a great opportunity for you since you can't work? Well, I, I, it wasn't really that long. I mean, I, so two years ago now, this fall will be two years, uh, I went pheasant hunting for my first time, right? And that came about because there's a, a, this outdoor radio program on the sports talk radio station in Minneapolis, right? It's called Fan Outdoors on every Saturday. And Saturday mornings at my house, I always just had it on. And become kind of a fan. And uh, at one one episode, they played some of our music, and they uh, subsequently reached out to me and asked if I'd ever want to be on the show. And so I did that. Um, and during that process, they asked if I'd ever want to give pheasant hunting a try. And I, I mean, I grew up fishing, and that was about it, and camping. And but I never uh, thought one way or the other of, of hunting. And so I, I agreed to do it. Um, and it was the, the the two gentlemen that took me out. Um, is uh, Bob St. Pierre, who's one of the guys at Pheasants? Forever. Oh yeah, no, I know him well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a he's a one of the hosts of the radio show, and uh, um, Billy Hildebrand, who's a retired tournament bass fisherman and teacher or whatever. But they took me uh, up to Billy's cabin in in central western Minnesota, kind of on the eastern edge of the prairie a little bit, and had a, an amazing first pheasant hunt you know we had birds everywhere i got uh was able to take a couple shots and it it, it um i was completely hooked after that first one so since then did you get one i did yeah yep and i've been a, a few other times since and then uh have now gone out for grouse and woodcock a couple times each and all through pretty much the generosity of these guys you know using their dogs and um, showing me the ropes but Generally, in a, in a normal year, I don't have a lot of time at home between touring to do it. So, you know, last year I got out twice, I think, and um, this year is definitely looking a lot better for that. Does, uh, do Yanni's coon dog training story speak to you? As a, as a person born in Germany? or as a <laughs> No. <laughs> not... <laughs> There's a no, deep, deep as reverence. An American, for, yeah. as, an American, <laughs> as an American who appreciates a good hunting dog. Uh, you know, watching those dogs work in a in a pheasant uh, in a pheasant hunt was was uh, you know obviously I'd never seen that before and it was really one of my favorite parts. I, I you know I wouldn't say I'm in the market, but I'm, I'm leaning that way. Do you know the? I was in a. Oh man, I was going to tell you something there because I'm not supposed to tell it. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can tell you. 
I don't see why you can't. I have I have a way I can tell it. Okay. I have reason to believe that our show, our TV, the TV show we do, uh-huh. um, that it's highest viewer per that the highest viewer per capita we get is in our own state. Okay. It's not surprising. No, I don't think so. Maggie's a big fan of yours. Is it because she's from Minnesota? Well, it probably does. You asking Maggie? me or you asking? No, I'm yeah. asking Maggie. I turned my attention. I turned my. I turned my gaze. <laughs> I turned my gaze slightly rightward right, to Maggie. Follow the eyes. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, that was my first exposure, right? So like, is it like it's not like state pride because these guys are international, or is it? I think it's become state pride for sure. So you associate? Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, you sing a lot about Minnesota. There's a lot of things in there that. I don't know. Speak to me. How long have you been a fan? I think I found you guys in my senior year of high school, going into college. That makes me feel old. <laughs> uh, so, I, you want me to put a year on that? No, just yeah. roughly. Like, how, how did it come to be? Like, how did it come to be? You saw him play? No, I had a really good friend that was a huge, huge fan. He's going to be jealous that I'm going to oh, hang really? out with you and fish and stuff. But, yeah, he introduced me to the music. And then, yeah, I just fell in love. And then we saw, first time we saw you was on the shores of Lake Superior. Atmosphere opened. Another Minnesota band. Yeah, really? Duluth. Awesome. And then it was trampled. When it was a fun mix of rap fans. And then. What year was that? That was. Um, yeah, what year was that? I graduated college. 15, 16? I think 14. Oh, yeah. yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere around there. Um, do you hate, as a musician, do you hate Spotify? No. No, I, I mean it's kind of a complicated relationship. Sure, right? that's how I that's how I became a fan of yours. Really, it was just served to me on it was served to me on just like the Discover Weekly that's, function. That's the thing is that it's it's so great for exposure that it's hard to really be mad at them. You know, there's well, right now what's really being highlighted, at least in my world, is the the lack of you know what a lot of people consider adequate payment for what they do to the to the musicians and to the songwriters. But um, it's just how people. It's, I mean, I listen to it all the time. You know, that's how I listen to music now. And I think in, for for somebody who bases their uh, income on touring, it's a really helpful tool because it's that's so many more people would hear your music than would have if they had to go to a store and buy a record or a CD. You know, like how often do you take a chance on something you've never heard of in that way? But now that touring's gone, uh, there is a lot of, uh, of people kind of bringing up the fact that they don't, they say that they seem to make a lot of money by paying musicians very little. I yeah. guess. But I don't know. It's it's one of those things that's uh it's the way it is now and it's a hard thing to change. It's hard to ask a company to say, Okay, we'll make less money and pay you better when they don't really have to. There's nothing forcing them to do that. Um your old man was in the military? He was, yeah. Was he tripped out that you became a musician? Did he want you no, to be a military he man? He was actually very supportive. He didn't know actually specifically told me he didn't want me to do that not that it was up to him you know but he he uh he was active for oh i don't know most of my childhood he was an officer he was in in counterintelligence so he would be gone for i remember one year i think i was three or something he lived in korea for a whole entire year and he got kind of sick of that life so went in the reserves for a while and then i mean that's why i was born in germany right because he was stationed there for a bit um, and then got out, and uh, no, he, I don't think he totally enjoyed his experience there, so it never really, he never promoted it anyway. 
So he was fine to see you become a musician. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure everybody was a little concerned at first when, when uh, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, but I, I tried to go to college for a, a year, and that didn't work out. And then started playing in bands, and you know, I was living in Duluth, Minnesota at the time, and realized that's what I, I mean, that's, that's all I could think about doing. I couldn't think about another job or another career that sounded uh, good to me at the time, so I decided to go for it. And no, but I had the—I definitely had the support of my family. I'm sure they were worried about it, but none of them ever had any money either. So, when uh, when you're growing up, trying to—not growing up, but trying to break into becoming a musician, this all happened in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started playing there, but it didn't really become a full-time opportunity for me until we started touring around. So I wouldn't have been able to just you know, quit my other job like I was able to if we would have just stayed in playing there. Um, but it, it was definitely the long way to do it. I mean, we just started touring on our own. We had no infrastructure, no booking agent, nothing. We'd just call people and uh, beg for work pretty much and, you know, go to a town and there'd be five people there. And hopefully six months later when we came back, there'd be 20 people and um, eventually got to the point where we could sustain it. Corinne sent me an article that was, I think in this article you had said something to the effect of in, in the music scene in Duluth, like people would already, people would start to resent you yeah. if you could get to a position where you could charge a $3 cover charge. Yeah, it's very, They were already very, mad. Very rock and roll, <laughs> very rock and roll kind of punky, you know, do-it-yourself like scene Like you'd there. sold out, right? Absolutely. Oh man, the first time we did charge charge a cover, it was... You know, I mean, this is a small scale uh, incident, but uh, we got so much, so much uh, slack for it that it's. But there's part of that that I really love about that place, where it's, it's uh, at least in the music scene in Duluth, what I, from what I remember and from what I assume still goes on, um, has that mentality that you have to be this, you know, art for art's sake kind of creator, which um, a lot of places don't, and a lot of spaces in working in music is is just so far apart from that. That I like that there's that little pocket where it's like it's kind of like that you know everybody everybody brings their own sound gear to the show everybody makes their own flyers everybody does their their own thing like that and it's it's cool. What is the? Did you write winners? Yeah. Like I, I've listened to that song a thousand times, but like I kind of understand what it's about, but I don't understand what it's about. <clears throat> yeah. Is it about what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, Can you explain it, it a actually, little bit. That's that's a pretty pretty accurate, I think. I, you know, I was talking to Sam about this on the on the river yesterday, where we were talking about songwriting, and for me, I I've I've always had a hard time thinking of a specific concept and writing a song, you know, literally about it. And for me, I feel like it works more where I, when I write, it's just kind of distilling maybe a you know a certain time period of experience into this thing that, um and then maybe make the connection of, of the reason behind it after the fact a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes songs are, you know, maybe one verse is referencing one period of time and another uh, different. But for that song in particular, that was pretty specifically about my, my time living in Duluth. Yeah, because yeah. you say in there, and you know how we feel about winners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot, there's parts but I don't understand. It's, it's a loving, it's a loving but what, relationship. But what, why does it say like nothing in the, but a hammer, nothing in the cabinet? What is it? Nothing but a hammer and a saw? <laughs> well, it, you know, it rhymed with the other. <laughs> and a nail, and a nail to drive it home? Uh, well, that, you know, there was this 
part in that song where I talk about sleeping on a couch, which I was. I was living on my friend's couch for this little period of time. But you weren't studying law. No. It says you were. Yeah. Well, I were also, you lying? I also rhymed. Were you trying? <laughs> were you lying to impress I your think mother? There's a difference between <laughs> there's a difference between lying and not telling the truth. You know? No, I'm joking. I wouldn't hold you to that. I just thought maybe you trying to impress your mom. Your mom would hear that song. She'd be like, oh, I didn't know he was studying law. Yeah, I was working real hard at that time. <laughs> you got to throw in health insurance and a steady paycheck. <laughs> Man, I got health insurance. There's nothing more rock and roll than health insurance and a steady paycheck. <laughs> I got a good no. question for you. On uh, can we I, just on the topic of cover charges? Yeah, but can you weave into your question my question because I'm still not satisfied with the answer. Oh, All please right. go ahead then, Stephen. <laughs> but what's it about? Nothing. <laughs> I don't care. Show about I nothing. know what it's about. I know what it's about in my heart. That's what I like to hear. Man. But was there a thing you said, you sat down and you said, damn it, I'm going to write a song about... No. Okay. No, I didn't. <laughs> I never write songs on purpose anyway. It's just, uh, the, it's kind of an abstract process for me. But it was a lot, you know, once that one started to take form, I realized it was really about this like early 20s of my life, living in that town and, and deciding that I wanted to to uh, you know, make a go at playing music for my career, I guess if you want to call it that, and um, and just some instances from that time that stuck out, you know. If that's maybe about as specific as I can get. No, that's great. Okay, like I said, I know what I know what it's about in my heart. See that? Well, that's the goal there. And it's, it's funny you hit on it because it's like it's that it's that. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, I, do you ever listen to the band Arcade Fire? Sure. Like. I like those guys. I do too. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I agree. I probably wouldn't agree with them on politically. No. At all. But I like them. Yeah. And I feel that they have, when I'm trying to describe what I like about them, is I feel that they are um, like this sort of infectious, it's like exhilaration, but with tinged with some very serious apprehension. Okay. And the winner's tune, like, has a lot to do with, like, being uncertain at an uncertain part of your life in a a town. Sure. In a town that's aware of itself. Yeah. And looking back at it from about 15 years later, too, you know. Um, Because that was some harrowing shit. I get what you're saying. Being in your 20s, man. Your late 20s is harrowing. Yeah. It was also some of the best times of my life in a really exciting way. When we started to tour, you know, there were four of us in a van, and I had really not traveled much outside of the Midwest at all. And so coming to see the mountains for the first time and see the ocean for the first time and all of that, I mean, every day, it's it's long and boring a lot of the times, but it was also this kind of, in retrospect and through a romantic lens now, was this kind of grand adventure that I was able to have at that time. We were sleeping on people's floors. There was no internet, so it was still like this mysterious process, you know, um, and playing music with some of my best friends are still some of my best friends, so... It was pretty great. Go. I feel like you uh, have kind of tiptoed around, I think, one of your favorite arguments, which is Oki from Muskogee. Right? It's like, well, okay. what, did, what, did you, what did you mean when you wrote Oki from Muskogee? What were you trying to say? There's been some, some uh, drama over that, hasn't there? Right, <laughs> exactly. Oh, tell me more. I know <laughs> the song. And, so like and one I'm proud half, to be. One half of the country's like, it is a conservative uh-huh, theme song. Anthem. Yeah, anthem, oh, it's right? it's not? It's just, it just rhymed, man. <laughs> just a good... You know, that... No! He, it's like, <laughs> we don't smoke marijuana. 
I think it was Were you like, from a dude who smoked a lot of marijuana. <laughs> from his, from what I've, I don't That's know if I've point. read lived on a houseboat and Lived on a houseboat in Lake Shasta. Well, I thought he was kind of making, like, tongue-in-cheek in it a little bit, right? Yes. Oh, he was? Who well, sang it? how many Who people have it? screwed up, how many people have screwed up Is that Merle Haggard? Springsteen's Born in the or, USA. Uh, yeah, it's Merle Haggard. Lived on a houseboat in Lake Shasta. Um, yeah, it's Born in the USA, that anti-Vietnam song. Yeah. You know, a Vietnam War song. He's like, but wait a minute. That's the song is like saying like, hold on, but wait a minute, man. I was born in the USA. It's not supposed to happen. Well, maybe that goes back to, uh, you, you know what it means in your heart, you know? Mm-hmm. I like, as a songwriter, and um, that's what hits me about songs that I love is the fact that I can relate something in that. Like, I get a feeling that I understand what's happening in there. Um, the song, and a lot of times it's, Man, that that person went through this experience, and they wrote about it in this way uh, that I would never think of doing. And that's you know, like Bob Dylan's blown my mind that way so many times, and some a lot of other writers. But uh, to have somebody kind of take their own narrative and their own understanding of a song and leave it at that—that's my favorite. If they're you know, sometimes when you find out what a certain line is actually about, it's kind of a letdown. I uh, I don't know if this is true. I've I've heard. I feel like from my brother. This would be a good one for Spencer's fact checker. I heard that Sammy Hagar once said that his lyrics came from misunderstanding other people's lyrics. Really? And then when you find out what they're actually saying, you're like, oh, shit, that's not what I thought it was. (laughs) I'm going to write a song with what I thought it was in it. That's even better. Yeah. But I don't know what he was listening to that made him think of I Can't Drive 55. (laughs) like what song did he think they were saying i can't drive 55 yeah he's just got really bad hearing or something but i'll tell you i'll give you a hot tip if you want a good line for a song it's what i used to think they were saying in a u2 in a u2 song i used to think there's a u2 song where he said the line a few broken bones and some loose change Uh uh-huh but it's not what he's saying. What song is i don't know what that is. carry the cry (laughs) (laughs) it's um exactly how, how does it go you should write a song okay, with a line like in it, a few broken bones and some loose change, because that's rich. That is pretty good. You probably <laughs> never had anything approaching that. So I got to give you like a producer credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't see you writing that down, Dave. We can wait. It's, it's all up here. It's all up here. A few broken bones. Think, the, what, think of the image that sets. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. I like it. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs. And here's one of those buddies, Max. Not the dog, but the buddy. I've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states, U.S. and Canada. Different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees, and it just doesn't stop working. I'm a fan for life. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. I do. I like uh, your kind of origin story, your line of, um, you know, didn't didn't sort of matter if there was money in it because nobody else in the family had money anyway. Yeah. And I feel like there's more pressure on kids to, to yeah. earn a, a high level of income if it, if their parents are doing it. Oh, you mean when you meant family, you mean like in your, like you didn't come, like you grew up not wealthy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I thought you meant family, like family musicians. No, there's a um, great, um, great line from uh, just Todd Schneider. Yeah. Favorite singer-songwriter. Song. Yeah, Doug Duran. And oh Doug loves it. When I close my I don't know what Todd oh. Schneider looks like, but when I close my eyes, I see Doug Duran. Oh. <laughs> Todd Schneider is a long-haired leaping gnome. It, like he is just this lanky, looks like he could walk forever, but I don't get the impression he does. <laughs> so so he doesn't look like I like Doug Duran's built basically like Bigfoot. <laughs> shave shave a lot of weight and keep the height. Okay. Yeah, but uh, he's got this line that says, uh having nothing is almost like having it all. Hmm. And I just find it very fitting a lot of times. Yeah. It's like, 
well, I don't have anything to lose, so why not try? Or it's, uh, I could see that as um, the kind of a simple life metaphor, right? Like, I look back, for instance, at the time we were just talking about in my life when there, were, I, there was no money, there was no house or kids or all, all the stuff wonderful and otherwise that's come since then. But it's an easier way. It's probably easier on your head that way, too, you know? We, we touched on it when we were talking about sleeping in the back of the truck yesterday. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's just simple. And because of the simplicity, it gets you out more. Or it gets you going more. And I know it's fun to sit around romanticizing being broke. And, like, there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of being broke. And I was broke a long time. Like, broke to the point where you were deathly afraid of going to the hospital. Right. Like, I remember waking up one time with paramedics standing over me. And I woke up with paramedics standing over me and ran off into the night. The only thing in my mind being, this isn't going to be cheap. <laughs> it's, yeah, man, I, we laugh, but that's not, that's not even that funny. So, but, like, my dad had a quote he liked. I think he made it up. He said, uh, I've been rich. And I've been poor. It's better being rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing now is I wouldn't I wouldn't choose to go back right now. I think if it happens at the right time of your life, there might be some lessons learned in there. I think everybody maybe would probably benefit for at least one year of poverty in their life. Oh, you I know think so. I mean? But I don't think anyway. poverty counts. Like, I don't think that people who don't have children no, should be allowed to use the word poverty. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree It's not. That. It's just something different. Yeah. It's like that's you're broke. Something. Like you're broke. Yeah. But some people never even get that. Because I lived many years like below the federal poverty limit, but I would have never, as a magazine writer, I would never have described myself. No. Because a lot of it's self-inflicted. Unless you're not, unless you're worried about feeding your kids or. Yeah. It's like, it's like mostly self-inflicted. It's like, you also drink all the time. (laughs) And you also like are always like doing like two week backpacking trips, hunting in Alaska. So it's like, it just doesn't jibe with poverty. Like, you just don't have any money because you have to have chosen not to. Right. But kids is different. Kids is different. Then I'm like, okay, un- unleash the word. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you my uh, cover cover story. It's not really a scam because I felt like it was very beneficial. But growing up in Missoula, there was always a lot of music around. And um, uh, we also chose not to have a lot of money at that point. And... Um, so what I would do is I'd go up to, you know, typically a, somebody in the band or of the band is sitting there working the door on the on the cover side of things, like taking cash. And so I would uh, figure out if the cover was going to the house or getting split by the house and if it would be better off for the band in their best interest to sneak in. If we bought like two T-shirts, oh right, we'd figure out something, <laughs> right? We'd be like, "Well, what is the band getting?" And then I'd be like, "Cool, I'm gonna have five people here. We're gonna buy two T-shirts. You put five people on the on the uh, guest list." And they'd be like, "Done." Half the time. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I would have said yes to that. Yeah, I mean, do you think those people... <laughs> That's I a mean, lot of thought put into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really sweet. Appreciate it. I could it. have been yeah. thinking about just making honest living and forking over my three bucks, but instead... <laughs> wow, well, that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's kind of... That's a, that's a heartwarming tale. Yeah, does that does that work for you? It does, yeah. Okay. It's, it would still work, probably. <laughs> Good, because I kept thinking about that, and I was like, oh, man. Could I just ask on that note, what is the best way to support artists and musicians right now? Is it merch? Is it physical media? 
Like, boy, that is a great question. Uh, yeah, it's it's merch, really, uh, physical media included. But most most artists out there have a website, and most of those websites have a store. And so every little every T-shirt or or sticker, or record, or whatever you buy off there, it uh, it all helps. Do you like that band Typhoon? I don't know the band Typhoon. <laughs> Uh, they had a t-shirt that I really want and it's yeah. out of stock and I always try to go buy it and I can never <laughs> buy it. Stock. It's 30 bucks. Oh man. I can't get one. I'm half about ready to write them in and see if I can buy his. I'm trying to jack up the price. You don't maybe. know the band Typhoon? Uh-uh. I could be right up your alley, man. Really? Yeah, I'll check them out. Todd um, Schneider's got a sticker that says Todd Schneider rules and it hasn't been in stock for like five years. I keep checking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my older brother, my him. older brother, uh, he doesn't like bluegrass. Uh-huh. And you guys have a strong bluegrass influence. Sure. You know what his criticism of bluegrass is? What? That it has too many notes. I agree with that. Oh. <laughs> wholeheartedly. <laughs> I, I feel like... And I listen to Larry, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of notes. Yeah, I do think that. And You, you know, think that too? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm definitely more of... Uh, like, I feel like maybe it's because I'm just, I've never been like schooled in my instrument or whatever, but, um, I prefer a bit more space and, and, uh, maybe more well-placed notes than more notes just for having more notes, if that makes sense. Do you know the musician Robert O'Keen? Yeah, I do. His song, Bluegrass Widow? Uh Uh-huh. Where he made a bluegrass song by stringing together all the titles of bluegrass songs. (laughs) That's a great bluegrass song. (laughs) Do you where where does Trampled by Turtles sit in like the bluegrass genre? Because it, I would imagine, uh, your guys' style is probably like poo pooed by some people in the bluegrass scene. It's like, oh, there's too much elect electric stuff, or there's too is too fast, or is too much on the rock and roll spectrum. It absolutely is. Yeah, I they think, get pissed because you guys win best bluegrass album. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it's really not. I mean. I don't care what people call this band, right? If you want to call them, if we want to call us bluegrass or not, I don't care. It doesn't matter. But to a lot of people, the word bluegrass is this very holy and specific thing. And it's uh, in that circle. Um, and I got a lot of friends in there. We do a lot of festivals in that world and um, a lot of friends playing in bands in that world. But And it's not even the musicians themselves. It's like the fans. And they have this thing where, um, there's very tight parameters and it's very rule-based uh, kind of songs and um, and it's really heavily focused on you know incredible technical skill um, and that's I don't that's not really my vibe vibe in anything musically I I don't really care how great somebody is at their instrument if they can't play something that really you know, evokes some kind of emotional reaction or you know. Um, uh, but so I think, yeah, in that, in that traditional bluegrass world, I think a lot of them wouldn't even consider us a part of it, which is fine. You know, we, we dabble in it sometimes we're lucky enough where we can go, we'll play a bluegrass festival, like a bluegrass festival, you know, in Appalachia or something. But then we're also able to play other things like, you know, we play Coachella and like rockier things as well, which I'd much rather be in that kind of muddy water than, than have to clearly define, um, something that. By its very nature, should grow and change as it as it goes along. I think. Seems like to some bluegrass fans, it's almost like bourbon, where if it didn't, didn't come Absolutely, from Kentucky, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, living in Missoula for a long time, there's a lot of people who are really snobby about bluegrass, and yeah, it, it, it's fun. It's funny to see how things get defined and yeah. illegitimized sometimes when and still like great I said, music. Mostly, that's the none of the musicians that I know, even in the traditional bluegrass world, really share any of that perspective. It's people that have this thing that they believe is theirs, which is fine. They're allowed to have it, you know, and they're allowed to like whatever they like. But, uh, 
to ask, you know, to, to like expect a band because they have a banjo in it to do this way, this thing a certain way, <clears throat> excuse me, to me is, is just kind of silly, you know. To have rules about who gets to have a banjo. Yeah. Or how they're supposed to play it, you know. Like our banjo player, for instance, is, this is maybe too far into this hole, but plays with a, like a guitar pick, which, I mean, is simple enough. He just learned how to play it that way and he's really good at it that way. Um, but in, for instance, in, like in the bluegrass community, that's super taboo to do that, which we didn't know when we started. We were in Duluth, you know, like <laughs> there's no bluegrass there. And we weren't like trying, we weren't trying to pretend we were from Appalachia or anything. We were just writing our own songs and using those instruments, you know. And uh, so we'd show up to play and he'd get so much shit for that pick that uh, it, was, it was like, what is this? What, what do the, tr- the traditionalists use? Fingers. Just their fingers? Or fingers, like finger picks. So it's even the... The distinction between a piece of metal on your finger or a piece of plastic in your fingers is enough. So I was, you know, honestly turned off by that uh, pretty early on and, and uh, have softened my view on it a bit now as I've gotten older. But I love some of the music, you know. Um, uh, I just, I, like, finding a place for rules in, in any kind of creative pursuit is, just seems counterintuitive to me. The abundance of notes notwithstanding abundance of notes notwithstanding uh <laughs> what bluegrass manages to do though is it has it's it's earthy yeah it's like the traditional bluegrass music is sort of born of the earth the old stuff it like feels it's very honest yeah i think that pop uh top 40 pop country whatever you call modern country yeah, top you, yeah. top 40 country sure um feigns an earthiness i agree with that and old country too, you know, country from the fifties or whatever. Those were people that lived in the country and wrote about their experience. That stuff smells of alcohol. It's so great. Yeah. And that same thing about the early bluegrass people. They were living in those hills and mining, and they were writing songs about that. And it felt like from the earth, you know, like what you said, which yeah, like I really it, did. Like it, like it grew out of the dirt. Absolutely. You know? And it's it's. Uh, a later interpretation or imitation of that, I think, has kind of less substance maybe do you uh you grew up around like hanging around outside at least absolutely even if you weren't into the real dark arts of yeah. hunting and whatnot. Yeah, yeah what was your you know what was your exposure to nature <clears throat> well my my dad and i uh would uh, you know would camp a lot and you know for one thing but um in in Minnesota, there's this great lake culture, right? And every, uh, not everybody, obviously, I don't, but a lot of people, especially back when I was a kid, when it was a little more affordable to do it, have cabins on lakes. And this is pretty, like you got ten thousand of them, right? And a, a middle class thing that people were able to do without um, needing. Now, now it's a little harder to buy a place like that. But anyway, my grandparents had one, and so I was, you know, grew up fishing on lakes since I could hold a rod, really. And then later in my teenage years, my dad and I kind of got into backpack camping up in the Superior National Forest and um, hiking on the Superior Hiking Trail and that kind of stuff up in, up in northern Minnesota. And then ice fishing as well, which I haven't done for a while now. You grew up around the ice hole a little bit, though? Uh-huh. Do you feel that, um, do you feel that, the, that the natural world, like, like give something to music or do you think it's just totally separate? Oh, I don't think it can be separate at all. Yeah. I don't, maybe it depends on the music or the 
the person making the music. You know, there's a lot of people in music who don't spend a lot of time doing any of that. Sure, man. Um, but for me, yeah, absolutely. I just, it's always just been the, just the outdoors, and it's such a broad thing, I know, to say, but it's always just been where I've gone, you know, whenever I have the opportunity to go somewhere or the um, the need to get out of town or whatever, it's always, you know, in a tent or the truck or now it's out in the field, um, and it's kind of where I recharge my batteries, it always has been. It's interesting, I mean, you just pointed out this thing, like, you don't need nature to make music. I do. Yeah, I no, I'm just, yeah, yeah I'm just, I agree. Like you do, but you're does. pointing out one does not. Because yeah, yeah. that's sure. like a, a a little bit of a conundrum um, where uh, even like in raising kids, I, you know, I would argue that I think it does kids good to have a very uh, extreme version of a relationship to nature. I agree. But I see people raise really wonderful loving generous kids in the middle of giant cities right who could give a rat's ass about nature <clears throat> yeah so i'm like okay i find it helpful uh-huh. is it the way to do it well, it's I mean, one way to do it you know your kids it's are, one way to do yeah, it it right? is right right and it those kids would probably be able to, they could grow up anywhere and be fine like you said but maybe that's your way of of showing whatever that thing is that you want to show your kids your way of doing it is out there yeah, and I don't have, have I don't have another method. Right, someone who is like grown up in Paris or something, their way of doing it has to be different. You know, I'm the same. I have two kids. I have a nine nine year old uh, daughter and a seven year old son, and my favorite times with them have been outside. You know, they both we've been fishing now. Um, they love to camp, and it's where it's kind of where everything makes sense to both of us. Maybe that's where like the Venn diagram crosses over. That's a good you know? point. Yeah, where where we. And they're, they're still young enough where we, we get along all the time, really. But I'm hoping that translates into their teenage years where, like for me, when, my, when, when I was 16 or 17 and I wanted nothing to do with my parents, I would still love to go camping with my dad. And that was the time when we would actually talk and actually spend time together uh, on a more of a level playing field, maybe. Can you think of a... Uh actual sort of moment or an actual way or a song or something where an experience outdoors like you know was manifested somehow in a thing you made or is it all just background well that's a good question no i i do think um it it is i would say mostly background but i think that you know, I definitely have like lines or references to it all over the place. Um, but I think a lot of when I'm thinking about writing a song and I'm working on it, I'm missing a line here or something like that. A lot of the times, like references in some way to the outdoors is kind of the first thing that comes up, you know, like describing how the light is or how it sounds or just things that you're a little more hyper aware of when you're outside, you know. Um, on my, I put a solo record out in March and I, think i noticed more of that stuff a little bit more in the forefront in some of those songs but i've also been so much more focused on on uh being in the outdoors now i mean i for so long with touring full-time i let i had let a lot of that stuff go for maybe 10 years i didn't spend a lot of time out in the woods or um on the water or whatever and it's really in the last 
three or four years has really been coming back to me really like more powerfully than it really ever has in my life. So I think the references to that are getting a little more literal in there. You know, I was plugging that band Typhoon. Uh-huh. There's a song, uh, it's called, I think it's called The Lake. If you listen to it real careful, it's the, like there's a, there's a, like this crystalline moment in it where it's 4th of July and the singer and his sister are playing. She's trying to make a loon sound and they go down to a lake shore and he doesn't realize it, but he says a different bug must have bit my leg, but I never saw it. And it's about Lyme disease. Really? You'd never know unless you listen to it like a gazillion times. Right. But yeah, it's about Lyme disease. Wow. But he never says Lyme disease in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, a different bug must have bit my leg. Are they from Minnesota? Because it, it sounds like they're just on the dock. No, they're and... from they're in Oregon, but he talks about but there's like nature references. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know? Uh-huh. It's like it's like real nature references that you wouldn't know if you didn't spend time in nature. Yeah. And cold. I think when I was talking about top forty country, it's like I sometimes don't buy the references. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, it's almost like, you know when you watch really, if you watch really bad, you know, like bad writers, and they're trying to imagine like what a redneck family is like. They'd be like, oh, um, have them fix something with duct tape. They like that. Uh Uh-huh. Right? What rhymes with duct tape? And they're like, (laughs) or you know, a thing they do is, um, you know, have like a, uh, Real strict, violent parenting style. They like that, right? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But people, like, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. Like, they don't know. I was watching this show not long ago, and they had a scene where there was supposed to be some carpenters carpenters working. And you could tell that the writer, nor the director, nor anyone on that set had ever seen a carpenter work in their life. There's a whole room of people building a house. Not one of them was doing anything you would do in the process of building a house. <laughs> they had no idea. Yeah. And I think that there's this thing in Top 40 Country where it's like, they're like, oh yeah, you'd have a truck. Yeah. And I feel like you'd you'd load up your girlfriend, I imagine, and take her to the river in the truck. Probably on a gravel road. That seems road. like a thing they would enjoy. Yeah, on a gravel road. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, really? Night. Do you really know this? <laughs> like, do you know this? No. Or do you feel and that this is a thing? In that world, too, a lot of the th- most, I would say, and not having any statistics in front of me, but most of those songs are written in office buildings by other people. There's yeah. like songwriting shops. People go nine to five at, and write songs based on record sales and what they what somebody's telling them is sells really well. I remember a couple years ago, somebody had put a uh, a video together of, I think it was it was like nine of the top ten country songs at that moment and found almost the exact same line in every single one and cut it together. So it like, different artists mm-hmm. all had the same basic chorus and the same basic. Because at that point, they, you know, somebody knew that, that connecting with that in somebody is what sells records. And I think what you're saying is right. It's a lot of the like, just let's just list off things they like, yeah, or they're supposed but, to like. But I, what I like about it is it's like of all the music right now, it's the music that's most references. It's the music that most references nature. Sure, it like references agriculture, right? It references labor in the outdoor. Like there's all these things that I kind of like, but the delivery always feels like a little yeah, inauthentic I'm with you on that too. Because I like that as well. I wish there was more of that in other stuff, or maybe that. Because in rock, like in like yeah. Nickelback or whatever, it's just, <laughs> they're not. I don't know if they re- do. They reference agriculture. <laughs> Quick, 
Uh, <laughs> I I don't know, man. There's I that is. I mean, that's country music. It's supposed to be in the country, right? It's supposed to come from out of town, people that live and and work and grow up away from the city. But in reality, most of it comes from downtown Nashville, you know. Yeah, and from people that live in Nashville and don't farm, you know. So that's where it came from. But now it's a, now it's a style that you kind of sculpt yourself to fit, you know. Some of it starts to feel like a caricature of of the rural lifestyle. I mean, there's the old joke, like you play a country song backwards and you, you get the farm get back and you back. get your dog yeah. back and your truck back and your girlfriend back. But yeah, the, that that's why I like stuff like you guys do. It just feels a lot more a lot more authentic and you well, can thanks. tell people actually actually get out and get out and do it. It's not just so. based on demographics. I will say when we started, you know, this band started as a, as a, uh, as a side project. We were all playing in rock bands. I'd never played in uh, anything acoustic based or folk music or bluegrass or whatever. Um, I mean, I started, my first band was a punk band and, and uh, when I was 18. You know? What was the name of it? <clears throat> Simple Junction. Simple Junction. Yeah, I know. I, obviously, band names are my strong suits. Uh, my, my same brother that doesn't like bluegrass, uh, he has a hobby where he just comes up with great band names. <laughs> Let me know if you need are one. Are they great? Band. Great repeat offender. That's a cover band. That sounds, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, Steve, we did this in post-production. <laughs> Carl, Hansi, and I have a list of band names. Up oh, there you do? From, I've come up with great ones. things that we've heard Never editing. when it counts. Ginger Snapper. I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> they all sound like bands that play at like like the VFW on Tuesday nights or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I was doing that, we when we started this band, uh, it was just as something to explore. We all... Simple Junction. Yeah. What does that even mean? You know, there's no proof that it ever existed, I don't think, either, which is one of the nice things about so you being, could be that, lying to me right being now, that age before Spotify or before YouTube <laughs> or before anything. Um, but we were copying stuff, you know? Like, I had never played a bluegrass song before. Our mandolin player had just bought a mandolin at a garage sale. <laughs> and we were like, well, and, and I've never even heard the music before. So we, at that time, uh, right at the end of the time where you do this, we found music. We found like CDs of bluegrass music. And we started, we learned a few songs. And it was just this kind of fun thing we did maybe once a month at a little bar. Because um, there was nothing like that in Duluth, you know, that we knew of anyway. Um, so we started. And then I think anytime you like, do that at the first, the first, um, at least for me, I should say, the first thing you do is kind of copy somebody else. You know, when I started writing songs, I wanted to be Bob Dylan or something, you know, so uh-huh. you like write like that in the, maybe use the same chord structure, make it sound like it, maybe even I'll write steel stuff. Um, and we would do that with Trampled. And then when we decided, we got a little bit older and decided that we wanted, this was going to be our band, then we tried to go reel that back and, you know, make our own music just with these instruments instead of the the ones that we were used to. The mimicry thing that you're mentioning, like I like how you, you're almost like matter of fact about it. I think everybody does it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And watching uh when I was going through school and watching so many ri- aspiring writers um learn their learn their groove. Sure. Everybody's trying to copy someone. The good writers are just people, like, everyone tries to copy and no one can get it right. The good ones are just that their facsimile, that the facsimile they're trying to produce is, misses the mark but hits something interesting. Right. It'd be like you're, like, shooting at, like, a, a, a buck, you know, mm-hmm. like a forky, and you miss it but hit, like, a booner. <laughs> and then you go there and you're like, 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I <laughs> yeah. meant to do that the whole time. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna, I was like, I was like, I'm gonna be like John McPhee and Ian Fraser. That's how I'll write. Yeah. Well, I think and a little every, Joan Didion tossed in, right? And I think everybody starts that way. Right. Anything like any of those people. Right. But you gotta, I think everybody in any creative field starts with that. Because you all, the reason you do it is because this stuff has had such an effect on you, you know? At least for me, I wanted to play music because that was the most important thing in my life. That's the thing that had made me, uh, you know, it had changed my life by listening to it. And so there's no other way to start, I don't think, rather, rather than copying somebody else and then eventually i think you kind of mix all those little influences in and find your own style i'm sure you did as a writer as well and then it becomes your thing and i think that every artist is just their distillation of all that stuff that's in them all those experiences all the people they read or listened to and it boils down into this you know little goo that's just their own thing um it's very continuous i think so uh trampled by turtles was was coming on the scene like uh as I had kind of made another life transition to like uh, guiding um, like white water and fly fishing outside of Glacier National Park. Okay. Right. And like national parks, you get a bunch of people from all over the country and all yeah, over the yeah, world sure. to come in and work. And then plus the visitors and everything. And um, this was, uh, as a lot of outfits are, there's kind of like a communal living situation too uh, with, with guides. And uh, and then there's all the park employees and stuff that are in the, the exact same thing. So you get exposed to a lot of music, um, and then certain music like really takes off, right? And everybody's listening to the same thing, right? And so Trampled by Turtles had this uh, amazing run um, in these circles, and you could hear Trampled by Turtles all the time. And I'm I'm always the guy who's like, who who sings that? Who sings that? <laughs> hey, who sings that again? Um, I, I just thought, like, when you start thinking about uh, legacies, right? Sure. Where you can have this thing that exists and means, like, polar it can have absolute opposite meaning to, like, the same groups of people. Where um, you have a bunch of young folks out for the first time, away from mom and dad. Um, there's a lot of partying going on. Uh People are drinking too much. They got a lot of freedom. Uh, there's a lot of sex going on. There's drugs. There's uh, rock just, and roll. Just listening to Trampled by Turtles. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and like your legacy <laughs> of like writing, you have produced this this content that means the entire emotional spectrum to people. Where it's like. I broke up to this song. Uh, I yeah, I, I fell in love to this song. I made a child to this song. <laughs> you know, uh, that's uh, uh, yeah. I don't know what to say to that, but that's great. You know, <laughs> I, I I hope so. I guess, but um, I I guess I have that from music for me. You know, that's why I get attached to some stuff as well. But have you ever run into somebody who's like, I'm going to punch that Dave Simonette <laughs> right in the head next. <laughs> My girlfriend yeah, ran off. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's happened. Um, I, did, we did, I did have a guy jump on stage in Seattle once and choke me while I was playing. Um, but I don't know if that oh was my God. From, what was his problem? I don't know. I never found out. You, you didn't know? get the context. No, I didn't. I really, I, first thing that came to my mind too is like, why? <laughs> why did you choose now? Help me understand this. 
Uh, no, I, I never talk, I never saw him again. And if you're out there, shoot me an email. <laughs> <laughs> In the music world, is it? Uh, were, were, Yanni, you just adjusted your mic. Were you fixing to say something? I got a question, but I can ask Lena, whatever. Lena? I felt not, it coming. It's, it's not. Uh... Please, don't make me beg for it. What's? Uh, do you have a guess at how many shows you've played? Oof, no. I I don't know. I mean, during, like annually during your busiest times, do you I, know? I do know that. I mean, during our busiest couple of years, which was probably uh, 2010 to 2012, maybe something like that. Um, about 150, 160 a year. And now we're at a pretty solid like 70-ish maybe, which still feels really busy. I don't know when we fit all the other ones in, but we were just kind of on the road all the time. That was before I had kids. Mm. You know, another guy in our band's got a couple kids and uh, uh, definitely the urge to be home. The older I get, the urge to be home is a lot stronger. Um, what's the drug scene like in bluegrass music? Or with the with the old bluegrass guys, are they like alcoholics or what are they? <clears throat> like the old guys, the old classic bluegrass I guys. I think a lot of those guys are they in the pharmaceuticals and stuff. You know the ones that are so alive. You're talking yeah. about, <laughs> like well, the, the the legit blue, like a legit right. bluegrass player. There's not many player. of those guys around. You know, don't I can I, Del McCurry is probably the only person from that period of time who actually played in like some of the original bluegrass bands, and he's 82 or something like that. He's he's a wonderful man and who has had us play with his band before he throws a great festival in maryland uh from what i've seen of him and his i mean his kids are his band you know it's a real traditional thing mm-hmm. um and they're really great um but i you know they're all pretty at least on the outside pretty stand up church going yeah you know well mom's here put the beer away kind of kind of crowd because you got that song about codeine yeah well i didn't grow up in that crowd you know yeah yeah it's like a country song about codeine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think I mean, yeah, what's that one there's, about there's drugs in every, <laughs> that's finally an easy question uh there's there's drugs in every every scene i mean and every you know probably every office you go into i don't think that's that's just a music thing anymore you think so yeah when uh in the music world, when you get like, oh, you know, you're getting interested in hunting and want to go hunting, mm-hmm. do you, I, was there a temptation to be closeted about it because no. you'd get in trouble? No, not at all. I, I, uh, I've actually really enjoyed that conversation. But I will say that mine, it might be a little different if I was, you know, I don't know, maybe if it was more urban band. You know, like we have a lot of pretty out, outdoor active that's probably not the right way to say that, but people, fans who are active in the outdoors. So I don't think it was a huge leap for for me to start talking publicly about hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's always, oh, like it wasn't totally unexpected. Yeah, it wasn't like, what? you know. Um, but yeah, in the music world, it's not, a, I wouldn't say in my experience in the music world, it's not a very common activity for people to do. So it's been interesting conversations I've had with other musicians from from bands, you know, much different than ours. And honestly, most of the response that I've gotten is curiosity. And a lot of people, a lot of people want to give it a shot and want to try it out. Um, I mean, I've kind of gotten a few, a few friends that are going to come out this year, um, that had never done it or had families have never done it. You know, they've maybe never even slept in a tent kind of, kind of friends, you know, but the, when I talk about the activity to them, um, I mean, you guys know more than anybody probably 
the different conceptions of hunting that exist in the public eye, right? And which is something I'm new to, but I had my own preconceptions about it before, and now that I've done it, what was your what what was that? Um, well, I was definitely on the side of things that that saw it as, um, you know, I mean, th- th- you know, kind of like this rednecky activity, chasing raccoons all around, driving raccoons Just, way off. It to turns a field. out I was right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think I, I was never, like, anti-hunting or whatever. I have uncles not, uh, and family member that hunt and, are, you know, whatever. It's great. But it wasn't something that I was interested in uh, until I had the offer to go. And so I took that But as there a must lesson. have been, it, that can't be it. It can't be like you never thought about it, had no interest, but then got invited to go and went. Yeah, pretty much. Really? Yeah. I would, I, it never, I really never crossed, do that. It never really crossed my mind, you know, and until I started talking to Bob. Uh, St. Pierre, and you know he brought it but up. But you said like, you oh, started you know to like his radio show. Oh yeah, I listen to it all the time. So th- then I caught you in a lie. I don't know if that's a lie. You must have been interested. Why the hell are you listening to the show? It's good radio, and, oh, it's, come on. and it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of fishing talk. And uh, yeah, oh it, because you liked fishing. And and yeah, but fishing and hunting are like very close cousins. They are really close. Yeah. Close <laughs> close cousins. I agree. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. But, There's like a rule I made. Okay, I need is. to name it. Everyone who traps knows how to hunt and fish. Everyone who hunts knows how to fish. Everyone who fishes, I don't know what they know how to do. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So they're they're like you right. were going the oh, you were not you weren't going like down the ladder. You were going like up the ladder. Sure. Uh yeah, I'd say that. I, I mean it does need a So name, you listen but... to a morning show. Because you like the fish talk. No, I also, I also, honestly, I like the outdoors talk. These guys are very, um, you know, they, this is my first experience with people that are, that are hunters, right? And when they talk about hunting, they talk about the walk and the dogs and the weather and like the, um, maybe a bit more of the romantic side of it that I had never really had a, uh, exposure to before and it resonated with me because that's the same a lot of the stuff they were talking about is a lot of the things that i felt when i was taking a walk or whatever Mm -hmm. but without the same goal in mind and um they were really just you know there's kind of the steward of the land conservationist perspective of hunting um and then the 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 part of getting your own food which i i mean obviously i knew that's what happened when you hunt but i never really made that connection of how nice it would be to do that um, even though I've fished and ate fish, you know, but um, maybe an extension of that or something. So, I mean, when the, that's the stuff to me that drew me in when I started, when I went that first time, you know. I was out with this group of guys who had spent their whole lives doing this, um, and then I got to see it from their perspective, which then it, it just made sense to me. It made complete sense to me once I did it, you know. And it was also fun as hell. When birds popped up out of the, I'd never experienced anything like that before. You know, it wasn't like uh, anything I had done. When a when a pheasant jumped up out of the cover, that a dog had just pointed, and I saw, you know, the first guy shoot one. It's like this. I'm in. This is so great. Wait till you see your coon dog chasing. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't get any better. Boy, than when you open up that yeah. have a heart, and that <laughs> raccoon comes screaming out of there. Boy, I get some blood pumping. Oh, have uh, a heart. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's you know I've I'm room to explore now. It's just a, a year of a couple of years of firsts right now, which has been pretty great. And you went woodcock hunting. 
I did. Well, we were grouse hunting, but they were legal at the same time and in the same woods. So, and did did you find some? Yeah, that's something I'm I'm real interested real in checking small. out. Yeah, I want to want to find some. Yeah, I that you know I'd been pheasant hunting twice, and then I went in the grouse woods, and uh, I was I thought I was like there's no way in hell I'm going to shoot something in these trees, except trees. You know, like seeing, watching a bird fly up and that cover is so thick. Um, well, when you do shoot, it looks like you hit a bunch of trees. Oh, yeah. It's all I have is like <laughs> leaves. No matter what, there's a bunch yeah. of leaves going everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I definitely have shot a lot of trees now. But uh, I was able to get a couple grouse and a couple woodcock. Oh, you really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're like proficient. Well, I don't know about that, but. Hitting I, rough grouse is not. I mean, anybody can. I shouldn't say anybody. Hitting a rough grouse, but hitting two rough grouse is good. Thanks. I, I, uh, it took me maybe. Scares the shit out of you. Time. Scares the shit Especially out of you. Especially right at your feet. And it always is, right? And the, the only time I've ever seen them come up have been right in front. And then, you know, somebody who didn't... I'm still in that phase, right, where walking through the woods and, and lifting a gun to my shoulder and getting all that stuff right is brand new. Even, you know, I've, so I still, I still... A lot of it's conscious movement for me still. So it's, you know, I'm a little behind the, behind the jump on that. But uh, I also don't want to shoot my buddy, you know? So I'm still in, like, the conscious gun safety mode as well. Because I've just, I mean, I, I took my gun safety, Minnesota gun safety course while I was on tour, uh, you know, in, in green rooms. I was on the computer doing my gun safety course. So it's pretty brand new. For those who want to know what happens in the green room. <laughs> doesn't get any more rock and roll. Than and that. in this green room, yeah. Dave Simonetta is taking his online gun safety course. I like that you just switched it to Simonetta. Oh, awesome. Well, that's what I feel like it ought to be. Simonetta. <laughs> Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good 
waterfowl, dogs, and here's one of those buddies, Max. Not the dog, but the buddy. I've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states, U.S. and Canada, different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees, and it just doesn't stop working. I'm a fan for life. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Yanni, can we return something real quick? There's two things I didn't get to up top that I want to still touch on. Yeah. Because you talking about listening to the radio in Minnesota made me think of this. Uh you you found out why I don't like car talk. I already know why I don't like car talk. I'm so curious. Uh, refresh us on why you don't like car talk. Because they the, they screen people and then they have people on um, in order to like express these old manny um, sentiments about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, I was in my boyfriend, I was driving my boyfriend's car, right? Your boyfriend's car. And it just goes on and on. Yeah. I, we, we did a poll, I think last time we podcasted and not, no, I didn't have anybody on my team. Either they hadn't heard of it or, oh, I love or nobody talk. was in it. You love it, but you're from Minnesota. So now C's going to say you're out. Cal? Car talks from Massachusetts, though, isn't it? I know, but yeah. I think it, I think Minnesota people so much per capita radio. listen yeah. to more public radio <laughs> than anybody on the planet. We can yeah. cut all this out, Phil. Yeah, what's the name of the street? <laughs> what's the street that Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is on? Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is in Chicago, I think. Yeah, it's or, in Chicago. Or, no, what's the downtown Minneapolis? Oh, yeah. On uh, Minnehaha Street or something. You're talking about... <laughs> Prairie Home Companion. Home. Oh, Prairie yeah, Home yeah, yeah. Companion, yeah. That's supposed to take... Oh, yeah. Um, they, Lake Wobegon. That's Lake, a fictional Yeah. Town. There's a street... Never, never mind. Anyway, right, I'm absent-minded. Cut all this out, Phil. No, we're going the wrong <laughs> I'm way. I'm going to another yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm ready for my I'm next question. I'm going to tell you. Oh. It's just because you're not into the subject matter. I am, too. If those... Really? You're into cars? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Hugely into cars. Just because you drive one every day, like the and when they're broken, <laughs> and when they're broken, it, I wish they weren't, and yeah. I want to fix it. That doesn't make you into. I cars. was working on my car today. Hmm. Hugely into cars. <laughs> I find it surprising you don't like. Car I think talk. if those same two dudes were just talking, trapping, and fishing, 
and hunting, you'd be like, that is the best radio show ever. So better I than my boyfriend's trash. Your my... boyfriend's trash. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like all kinds of shit. Like, I like all kinds of, I, like, uh, I just watched the thing about the first people that use the RICO law um, to take down an organized crime ring and how they, and how the law came into passage and how they used RICO to, instead of doing these like individual pro- prosecutions of these various gangsters, were able to roll this whole concrete price fixing manipulation ring up. And you're now, not a lawyer if or you're like, a mafia. You know, Steve, he's very interested in concrete bidding process. It's like, no, I'm not. But I like that. It has nothing to do with what I like. Mm. No, no, no. I just think it's just too out of your space. No, no. Is it the dynamic? In the conversation that you don't enjoy, like they like beat around the bush too much instead of actually like getting to the issue. Yeah, they don't talk. Yeah, I don't learn shit about like, fixing cars. They'd be like, I oh, mean, you better take it to the mechanic. You know, stuff you should know that podcast. Yeah, I don't. I hate that podcast. That's a, you just provided me with a great rebuttal. <laughs> Cut all this out. You provided me with a great rebuttal. Is it? It's not actually about fixing cars. No, you don't it's learn about shit. The, it's about the conversation. So like, did you check to see if it's on? Oh, we'll take it to a mechanic. Yeah. No, uh, it's, it's totally about the conversation. I'm I feel like you but guys, I, you haven't listened uh, I know, closely I, enough. I, they do. I mean, stuff you should know. They eventually tell you, like, what that podcast's about. Same. But, like, there's, it's more about the conversation, the dynamic between the two and the way they go back and forth. Well, that's I what feel. makes talking about fixing cars entertaining. Dave, would you know. imagine? Um, <laughs> it's what got Dave into pheasant hunting. <laughs> Dave, would it wasn't you imagine? the act of loading the shotgun. <laughs> Clean, it's true. I'm going to meticulously but, tell you. But some... I take a shell out of the box, after I open it, of course. <laughs> I break open the shotgun by pushing the lever. Dave, do you imagine... Sounds like our how-to videos. <laughs> Go ahead. No, that's no. all I had to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, do you imagine that you would get into, like, would you get into big game hunting? Or would that be too kind of, like, too extreme? No, I totally would be into it. I've th- I've... Started to try to figure out a way to go deer hunting this fall. Now that I'm going to be home this fall, um, at home. But I, yeah, I'm into all of it. I'm, I'll try any of it, I guess, and just see what sticks. You know. And there's nothing like you wouldn't do. You'd go on a bear hunt. I don't know if I have. Maybe I'd go on a bear hunt. I never thought about it. Huh? You go on a bear hunt? I've been on a whole pile of them. Do you like it? Yeah. I go. Uh, all I meant was I think that there's a way that like when when someone as a grown up. Mm-hmm gets interested in hunting and fishing, there's like, oftentimes there's these initial things that seem immediately palatable to someone. <clears throat> I Yeah, I get that. Birds, and, birds would be the easy yeah, entry point. And there's a lot of people who wouldn't do other stuff, but they would like, they're comfortable, you know, yeah. catching trout and letting them go and they'll shoot a bird. Right. But that's about like as far as they're, that's about as violent as they want to get. Yeah, I feel like I know people like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you don't feel that way? No, I don't think so. I, mean, I guess, you know, I'd have to... Ex- I I like to think anyway that I'd have to experience it to see if it's for me or not, you know? Instead of trying to guess if I'd like it or not, you know what I mean? I don't I don't have a... Um, it's, if you're asking if it's like a some kind of moral... Um, you know, I can kill small animals but not big animals because they're big and furry or something like that. I yeah. don't have that, no. No, that, that was what I was asking. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I understand that. And I know that that exists. But um, maybe I get out there and I wouldn't want to do it. I don't know. I've never tried it, you know. But I'm interested in it. And I like the meat 
So I'd like to. Dave's growing a garden too. So I feel like he's just <laughs> he's now he's just it's into the reaping the, all summer, the rewards of the land. Yeah, yeah, the whole new Dave. You've <laughs> taken up gardening. I did. New new gardener. New gardener. What what I had garden before, but it has been a long time. What uh what speak do you, do you feel in your head that there's a connection between gardening and and fishing and guard and well, hunting and stuff? It's just providing yeah, as far as providing your own food, making your own food in in a certain way. I do see that connection and I like that activity. Um I'm not much of a romantic gardener. Like I don't spend hours out there. I don't really get a lot of joy from the process of uh of keeping it up. I do I do like it, but it's not like I wouldn't say it's a hobby. For me it's simply just to get the food out of the ground. That's it. Maybe that's more of a farmer. Like it's like transactional. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I get it. I I, I like the process of it. I, you know, but I, I I feel like the people I think of as gardeners are are very much gardeners. Does that make sense? Like they're in oh, it. It's absolutely. like an art form for them. And I don't have that with gardening for me, no. But I do really enjoy growing the food and and uh, bring it inside and. Eating boy, it, I've you know? seen when those two paths cross though, and boy, did th- this guy reap some. Freaking product! It was in yeah. it was in Old Town, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, and the neighbor. There was no yard. He might have had a little side y- yard where there's some grass, but pretty much the yard was this his garden. But it was run like a farm. Yeah, okay. And uh, I think he grew, I think he was a son of maybe potato farmers out of Idaho. That's something like he was definitely came off of a farm. But I mean, he's the only guy I've ever seen or any gardener for that matter that like when stuff got planted, there was the strings, you know, running down uh-huh. the whole thing. And yeah. this thing, I don't know, is maybe forty by forty feet or something like that. But it's I mean, just like. Everything packed in deep, and like and people would walk by, they would definitely come and do the loop when they were walking their dog or just going for the neighborhood walk to walk by this guy's garden because wow. when it was going off, it was just so impressive. Yeah, and I feel like that guy, he definitely wasn't like a gardener because that was like his thing, but he did it to such a level that you would have thought he was became a gardener. Yeah, yeah, he I, just reaped. Yeah, I think I was thinking about it a lot lately, like why, because I've always gone way out of my way to make sure to have some sort of garden. And I think there's a big part of like forcing your will. I would never tell this to my garden, but <laughs> there's like a thing about like forcing your will upon something. Like I almost have this sort of advert, like I have like this almost adversarial like this land wants to be grass, but I'm going to make it tomatoes. It's like I am waging, <laughs> yes, like yeah. I am waging a sort of battle. Never mm. thought like about it's it not like always loving. It's not always loving. <laughs> yeah, right. It sometimes is that. anger and like retribution, <laughs> and like it's not loving. Parts of it are. Parts of it are. Um, like I am the reaper, and I am the sower. Playing God. Yeah. Well, yeah. Our mornings are starting to, like, you can feel they're a little bit cold, right? So I uh, I made the decision to impose my will on my tomato plants because I'm starting to fear that the yeah. payout that I've been awaiting patiently until now is not going to happen. Is not going to happen. So I went out there with my shears and just cut them way back. So they put all their energy into. That's the theory, right? Yeah. Like, and you, into you make fruit. me fruit now. Yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am the sower. I am the reaper. I did it in the wrong order earlier. I am the sower and I am the reaper. 
Yes. And I make the calls here. <laughs> he got that little box. <laughs> you know. Where they, you, you can be that guy. And that, <laughs> to, con- to contrast that, I have a planner, like above ground planner, and I put a bunch of stuff in there. And no matter how I tried, the squash is taken over. It's like, screw you, Maggie. Like, I'm killing everything else. And I'm happy for the squash, but man, am I sad for everything else? That's the nature. So you of have squash. like pity in your garden. Oh yeah, it's so my spinach is gone, my lettuce is going, and I'm just like every day like it's bitter Aw. soil. Mine's cucumbers. and I'm kind of like resentful to the squash right now, even though it's like so happy that I gave it a spot. But well, I'm like, screw you. As Dave would say, uh, <laughs> you know how we feel about winners. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask about Minnesota nice. winter being people like. Non-residents of Minnesota, right? I always look at Minnesota being like such a polar, terrible place in yeah. the winter. And you That's know, as being someone from, from Minnesota, I love winter. Like I, I it's like in my. I was going to ask if you liked it yeah. because it's like something that I look forward to every year. And everyone gets so sad about summer, but man, do I freaking just you love know summer time. there is 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 I'm sure the general favorite, but man, it's hot and humid and buggy. And it's my least favorite time to be out, mm-hmm. you know, in the woods or whatever. Uh, but spring and fall and not, and winters, I think winter is great. I'm always ready for it. I'm, you know, I when it's on its way, I get super excited about it. Me too. And I'm always ready for it to be done when it's done. So Same. I just like, I like the progress of the seasons. I think I'm always really excited about the next one. My grandpa was a, uh, a pathologist at one point um, in Minneapolis when he, he, he uh, came out of uh, Creighton Medical School, and and his first job was a, as a pathologist in Minneapolis, and and uh, he described um, Minneapolis summers as when the old Scandinavians die. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a certain pride there, but I mean, you guys, it's pretty cold out here in the winter too. You know, yeah. I would say it's not I'd, as cold. Not as cold. <laughs> Definitely no. not. <clears throat> yeah, it's we, maybe a different kind of cold too. I don't know. We were at this dude. Um, there's this guy fished with for this. We have this fishing show called Das Boat, and just tell me about this. And we fished with a guy I know from Michigan named Grant Gully, and he took. We were at his house where he grew up. Like his mother, he was born in the house. Like his mother was born in the house. Maybe his grandma. They've been here forever. Like they got all these wooden crosses where they buried all these dogs over the years. Yeah, it looks like a like a dog Armageddon, right. <laughs> but it was spread out over a long time, uh-huh. like a like a big pet cemetery. He was showing me this old man across the road who's this lonely old man, and the guy had tilled up this patch of ground and planted all flowers in this patch of ground, and it, he expressed to Grant that he felt as though um, women would stop to admire these flowers and that he would use it as an in <laughs> to talk to him. <clears throat> Did you say if it had worked? I don't know if it had worked. He had just, there was this big patch of flowers and that's what he had expressed. Wow. This, this same dude told me these two other, like a couple other stories where um, he was telling me about these friends of his were down in Iowa. And in Iowa, if you hit a deer with your, you can't blood track a deer onto someone else's property. Okay. Without permission. So his body hits a deer and the deer's bleeding like holy hell, but gets over a fence. And he goes around to the guy and 
says, like, do you mind if I track my deer onto your property? And the guy won't let him do it. Like, no. But he knows the deer's got to be dead because of how good he hit it. So he goes and gets a game warden to come out and help him with the whole situation. And the game warden gets the landowner who won't let him go on his property, and they're having this little conference, and they go over to the fence line where the blood trail vanished. And the game warden says to the landowner, he says, I'm going to follow this blood trail. And this blood trail better end at a dead deer, and that deer better not be gutted. And the landowner turns to him and says, "Um, let's just go to the barn. (laughs) (laughs) No. Already there it was. No way. A very nice buck dead in the dude's barn. Wow. Yeah. Well, the guy got it gutted for him, I guess. <laughs> he got to take it back, right? Wow. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? I'm sure that's not even, I mean, it can't be common, but it, it probably happened. That was right? a good story, man. Yeah, he, told me, story. he told me, he also told me, um, we're standing, and I'm like, no shit, your mom was born in this house, you know? And he said, the biggest party I have ever been to, that I've ever even seen in my entire life, was right here. And he said, uh, he said it was the parking at his party when his mom was out of town. He he equated it to the county fair. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy in Michigan. Same dude. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, tell you the last story he told me. Uh, um, and then you're gonna have to get out your guitar. The last <laughs> story he told me was there's some dude he knows. Like, I could be, I might mess up a part of the story. But it's basically it. A guy had a boat stored at a place. Okay. And he doesn't pay his boat storage fee. Hmm. To the point where he owes $4,000 for storing the boat. But the boat's more valuable. The boat storage owner um, decides he's going to sell the boat to get his money back. But the boat's worth a lot more than $4,000. My friend comes in to catch an argument where the owner of the, the original owner of the boat is saying, if you sell that boat, I get every dime over what I owe you. And my buddy's saying the boat's probably worth like $9,000. So the guy's like, sure, sell the boat, get your four back, but the five's mine. And the argument gets so heated that the guy turns around and sells my buddy the boat for exactly the amount the guy owed him. (laughs) Sells it for four grand. Yes, just as a no way. Yeah, it must just to stick it to him. Whoa, yeah. And then he fished that boat for years. He catch it. Yeah, Grant. I haven't messed up any of Grant's stories, but I might have messed that one up. But it's basically the groove of that story. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. This guy has wonderful. You should write songs about all these things I'm telling you. You should write a book. It sounds like you should write a song called um, "The Boat Deal." The boat. <laughs> the boat deal. And the flower bed, the pet cemetery. Uh-huh. This is the whole damn album. This is like a beautiful landscape. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, can you get out your guitar now? Yeah. I want, I want people to hear. You going to sing with me? No. Yeah, a little, I'll be kicking. Uh, <laughs> what, what you need to do, if you're, if you're up for it. Okay. How excruciating is this? I mean, like, I don't give a, here, I don't I care, man, because this is what you got to do, man. Yeah, this is fine. music in the time of COVID. <laughs> I don't mind. You have to first play a little teeny snippet of Maggie's favorite, one of Maggie's favorite tunes. Okay. 
right now. Have you ever done snippets before? I, I know. I don't. Well, you know what? I did do snippets once. We got asked to play at a Minnesota Twins baseball game, and we would play 38 seconds or whatever whenever they have a pitcher change or they go to somewhere else. The, the point of us being there was to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. But we did all these little, and there'd be a little uh, little speaker there, and a voice would come in and be like, four seconds. And we'd have to figure out how to stop the song <laughs> in the middle of the song <laughs> and, uh, with no rehearsal because we had no idea of the time. They wouldn't say you're playing for 35 seconds. They'd just say you play until the guy gives you the warning. But the hook was that you were going to do like, a great version of a great arousing rendition of Take Me Out to the... And it was super fun. A, I grew up a, I'm a lifelong Twins fan, so it was kind of a little kid moment for me, you know. We got to, we actually got to do the national anthem at one of the playoff games there this year, too, which was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life, I think. You maybe should do that big, song. Big. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, the problem with it is I'm not really physically able to sing that song, but I, you know, went for it, and it worked out okay, I think. But it was, uh, it's a lot of pressure on that song and that environment. You know, um... You know the band Silver Jews? I do, yeah. Yeah, he's got a great line. He says, all my favorite singers couldn't sing. <laughs> well, he was kind of a talky <laughs> singer. Anyway, uh, yeah, I said it when he passed, man. It was a great band. Yeah, he kind of, yeah. Just not long ago. I, I've only known that band maybe five years or something. A uh, band we were on the road with was playing some of their music backstage and like, this is great. I oh, American that. Waters. like So good. American Water, I think, is one of the. Yeah, that's cool. 20 best albums wow. of all time. <clears throat> a country band like that. Okay, Midnight on the Interstate. Okay, I'm sorry. But you got to say, um, 20 you say, degrees cooler out in that hallway. Can you say this too. one goes out to Maggie? <laughs> all right, this one's for Maggie. Can you say this one goes out to Maggie? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> snippet oh that was a great uh, snippet okay good love it the medley continues Thank you. all right here's winners uh, if i could remember it there were dreams on a full moon night Black hole in the middle of the light 
Faintless times where we were feeling alright And we were breaking down the walls A dirty little basement and electric guitars The sound of the river and the pines and the stars Drank a little too much, yeah, we took it too far Well, but most of us survived So much coming out, there's nothing going in With your skirt above your knee and your murderous grin Oh, tell me that you're not leaving Standing there so literal and free Writing pretty poems and ruining me It took a little time, but baby, now I see That the end is always near And I was sleeping on a couch with a shivering dog Practicing my speeches and studying the law Nothing in the cupboard but a hammer and a saw And some nails to drive it home So much coming out, there's nothing going in Yeah, I could write it down, but that would be a sin And you know how I feel about sinning Well, Charlie's on stage and the roof may collapse No one seems to worry about the light and the gaps Of the walls painted yellow and papered with maps That remind us it's time to move on A pretty little city built on a hillside There's music in the bars and fire in the sky We went to the beach and it was covered in ice And I used to call it home So much coming out, there's nothing going in Yeah, I know that you feel like you're never gonna win Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner
Yeah, we made it through. That was great. Thank you. That was awesome, man. Thanks, brother. Thank you very much, man. That was beautiful. Okay, so you didn't make any jingle off this performance tonight, today, this morning, actually. Wait, what? I said, you know, <laughs> how can people support you? Everybody just got a free song. Everybody just got a free song. Yeah. So how do how do fans support you right now? Uh, if if a fan wants to support, they can they can head over to my website at deadmanwinter.com or trampledbyturtles.com. Um, take a look at the store and see if there's anything you like. Um, and 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 you know what we were talking about with streaming before, uh, it helps too. So if you you know whenever you throw that on there. It's it's all it all adds up, you know. And then what what are, what are you most proud of right now? Like, if people wanted to go check you out, what should they to get the the most current snippet of what you're up to? What should people go listen well, to? I, I put a solo record out just under my name, Dave Simonette, Simonette, however you want to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that I released at the end of March, so I, I never really got to do anything with it. It never the whole tour was canceled. Um, oh yeah, I hadn't. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So that like March didn't happen. It's called Red Tail, and uh, you can check that out if you like. Do you do you feel like you just wait a few years and try again and re-release it? It's kind of on pause right now. I think is that right? Maybe I don't know. No, I mean it's it's out. Like, you can't take it back. But, uh, but you I can like pick it up and tour it when you can tour it. Exactly. I hope to make up the tour. Yeah. So Red Tail is a good thing for people to go listen to. What what what's the like if people are interested in Trampled by Turtles? What's the, like so, what's the like the thing that you'd most eagerly point people to? I usually like the newest thing. So uh, for me, it'd be our, our latest record, Life is Good on the Open Road, which came out a couple years ago. Okay. So they should check that out. Please do. Are you on social media? Can people find you on social media, Dave? Yeah, at Dead Man Winter. And TBT Duluth for Trampled by Turtles. Are you active on there? Mm, yeah, kind of. Do you put hunting pictures on there? Yeah. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the song. It was beautiful. I really appreciate all of it. Fishing trip, everything. It's been a a great couple days here. Well, good. Come back. I will. Thank you. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.